The website affiliated with Relevant Magazine recently published an article titled A Third Way on Gun Reform. And this is an excellent example, one of two that we are going to use today to describe, outline, and illustrate the psychologist's fallacy or the also known as sometimes also known as the view from above fallacy. And so if you want to support the show, you can remember to head over to redactedllc.com. That's where you're going to find our merch. Or if you want to support us further, you can do not the Patreon version, but the, what do you call it? Uh, redactedculture.locals.com because we're using locals instead of Patreon for the behind the scenes black site content. But on to the discussion, on to this um Onto what needs to be done today. So in this article written by Ellen Hayes, which was published on June 27th, 2023, which I, uh, you know, in, in America's history is probably going to be related to some political event. Uh, it begins with an argument, an appeal to there being a third way, maybe a third option in regards to the highly polarized subject when it comes to guns and gun control and gun rights and, 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 and the rights of the individuals in our country to uh, keep and bear arms. And she starts her article, which tells the story, kind of relates to some of what happened in Nashville, and she, re she reveals that... Um, or she she goes on to claim that there is a decent number of people. There's a a you know nearly half. Uh, uh are, sorry, there's a growing number or a decent number of people or a respectable number of people within the specifically like the church, even the Southern Baptist Convention, that believes that quote you know something needs to be done. Right? There's this uh, this um there's this response to the shooting or to the numbers of shootings that have happened in the last year or so that specifically point to a need for action and that this 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 sentiment can be unseen within the church or at least certain form forms of church leadership and she goes on to say that this author Brené Brown captures the plight of and I'm quoting now author Brené Brown captures the plight of those who find themselves in the middle ground, stating, I exist in that lonely space between all guns and no guns, a space that feels, in their brackets, defined by criticism and judgment. And so the article here goes on to talk about basically that, you know, suggesting, desiring, that there's a desire for a new way to have a conversation over uh, whether you want to call it gun control, gun reform, or the human right to bear arms. And what we end up at the end of the article, though, is that you know, there's various conversations sort of ex describing the difficulties people have in these kind of conversations and how uh, not many of these, not many conversations are heard between peoples that are willing to talk about, you know, differing opinions on certain things, which what might be described as some sort of middle ground. What she ends up concluding with is something that sounds a lot like this. I'll, I'll just I'll just go straight to quoting it. Um, Though the issue of gun control reform may appear overwhelming, there is reason for hope. Progress has already been achieved in some areas, with states implementing red flag laws, exceeding or, or extending background check periods, and enacting assault weapons bans. Grassroots initiatives and community-led efforts, such as the a gun buyback program, also have had are also have the potential to make a substantial impact. And so what the author does here, and why it's referred to as the a view from above fallacy, is that she proposes that there is a third way, or she or she is a, 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 she is 
placing herself in the position as an author or as the uh, in the way that she writes the article, implying that she is coming at this from an objective position. Now, she doesn't actually go forward and say that, which is a good thing, because if that were to be the case, then it would be a flat out red flag. However, what the article suggests and in the tone of the article and the presentation of the article is that she said that is that the idea that there's a dichotomy between you can either have uh, you can have the right to bear arms or you have absolute control is a false dichotomy. And and that can that even that can be considered somewhat reasonable because what you're looking at is content contending worldviews and no one has an absolute mastery over the world in, in that sense. And so there is like that issue. But what she does, though, that is a little bit subversive, in fact, quite subversive, is that she spends her time writing the article about how there is a third option for the, 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 the stalemate on gun control and gun rights and rights to bear arms in this state in this country. And then she reveals that she doesn't actually, she's not actually approaching it from a third way. A third way is actually just the way that is her way, which is the gun control side. So in other words, you could say, and, and let's kind of break this down even a little bit more plainly. She said, there's one view, there's one view um, about gun control that or there's one view that people have the right to bear arms and there's another view that that the the state should be implementing controls in order to safeguard the lives of children or whatever the argument is of the day and then there's a third way there's a third option which is funny because those are contradictory or those are conflicting worldviews let's bring this back up here uh there are conflicting worldviews and then she's suggesting that she has a third way to bring to the table, which actually just ends up being one of those two ways. And the reason why this is a fallacy is because the implication of a view from above that she's able to look at both positions or look at what's going on would be the fallacy as if she's not a part of the thing being observed. So that's one thing that that's one way of describing the view from above fallacy specifically. This is why we get the word view from above is it implies that the individual who is giving their um, perspective or their argument is not also within the context of the argument themselves or that they are not affected by the conditions of the argument and the state of a tension between two groups. Because what she does is she says there's a third way. She's saying, oh, well, look, there's these people that have these ideas and then these people that have these ideas, or she's implying that within a gun reform, gun control conversation. And there's a third way. And that third way is in the, you know, might be something like the middle. People refer to it as the compromise. And that third way is actually just this group's entire intention from the beginning. And, and so that's what that fallacy looks like that's what a, it's 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 a common it's morally i guess it more often appears in rhetoric than it does in logic that more often appears in a rhetorical argument format than it does in a way where somebody is trying to argue something like botus tollens and implications within there are the relationship between premises and an argument and so on and so forth because it wouldn't really work in the, the frame of logic <clears throat> Uh, especially um, prepositional logic. So that being the case, what is another example, though, contextually speaking, that we can use 
regarding the uh, the view from above fallacy. Uh, we're going to use a book here real quick. This is Lieutenant Colonel Grossman or Dave Grossman's book on killing, which is a very, very useful read. Uh, that was a really bad shot on the camera. Let's see if we can get that one. Yeah. Uh, this is Lieutenant, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman's book called On Killing, which is a useful book. And it's a very, it, it, for those who are involved in both gun culture, military philosophy, and psychology in revolving around the subjects of violence, it's, a, it's, it's one of those books that is at least worth reading. It's sort of like you should have it under your belt and on your shelf because it is a piece of literature that despite some of the challenges with the arguments that he makes within the book has sort of paved a way at a time for further discussions and conversations and concepts within how we think about violence and people's capacity and capability as well as uh, how we think about it in a moral framework so but this is one of the examples and it is uh let's see <clears throat> And, in, and it is in this book specifically where we see one of the early and well thought out or well written out versions of the classic sheep, sheepdog, uh, wolf kind of metaphor that you see that you saw relevant in gun culture in the past. And that is what the argument looks like is he divides all people into these different categories. You've got, um, you know, you have people who would be considered wolves or predators and they're sociopaths and they fit within a human subspecies, not not subhuman species, human subspecies. And they are a they're sort of or maybe not even species, but well, whatever this this subgroup of humanity that are predators and they might let they might be psychopathic, they might be sociopathic, but whatever it is about them, it drives them to do these things prey on prey on other people and then there are the sheep which is the normal persons right right and this is this idea that people are divided into categories and some people fit within the category of sheep as in within the context of a violent situation or within any sort of ethics framework ethic ethical framework regarding violence they are sheep they don't have any i mean they have agency but they're just ones that get preyed upon and then there's this third category which is the sheepdog which everyone wants to be and then you've got companies like sheepdog defense and you've got like never-ending use of the rhetoric and never-ending use of this argument and the problem that i have with this one is that it's not exactly the psychologist foul it's not exactly the view from above version of the fallacy where we've got two contending ideas that are in contest with another and a person suggests that they're able to sort of objectively see both sides and then suggest a third way which turns out just to be one of them one of the two sides of the argument it turns out just to be well their party line let's call it uh this one is when it fits when it fits within the category of being a little bit more of that psychological fallacy or that psychology fallacy in that the person who is giving the description um, is describing himself as if he is not within that environment now i don't think that if you were to ask lieutenant colonel grossman that uh, if he was not within the environment that constitutes or he's not affected by the factors which gave him the impression that um, came to this conclusion of the sheep sheepdog uh, wolf metaphor, 
I think he, I, I honestly believe that's something that like very quickly having met him, he would be, oh, okay, I get your point. And maybe change, he, maybe he would, would have reconsidered how he wrote the idea, but where it becomes a, so this is not like an ethical criticism of him, but where this comes out though, is that he's describing these things in a sort of definitional sense that, uh, and I'm going to quote, I have met these men, these sheepdogs over and over again. I have interviewed, I, as I interviewed veterans, they are like one U.S. Army lieutenant colonel, a Vietnam veteran, who told me I learned early on in life that there are people out there who will hurt you if given the chance, and I have devoted my life to being prepared to face them. These men are quite often armed and always vigilant. They would not misuse or misdirect their aggression any more than a sheepdog would misuse or misdirect their, I'm sorry, or would turn on his flock. But in their hearts... Many of them yearn for a righteous battle, a wolf upon whom to legitimately and lawfully turn their skills. So do I think that this exact argument is the best case of a psychologist's fallacy? No, but you can see it in, you can see it baked into the cake in that there is an implicit argument, maybe a implied condition that one person fits within a certain category or there is or that the the environment by which um, Gro Lieutenant Colonel Grossman is describing is one that he is in too, and he is not, and that is not very clear on how he introduces its his in, its influence on him as the author within this book. But does that make the book uh, useless? No, it's actually quite it's 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 quite a it's, it is still worth reading, and it is one to keep on the shelf. So. <clears throat> What does that mean for the metaphor, right? The sheep, sheep, dog, wolf metaphor. Well, one of them is that I think that it divides people into uh, uh, categories that are that should be descriptive but tend to be used prescriptively. So when a person is described as a sheep, they're described as somebody who can't help but be useless in a, in this kind of scenario, or someone or they're they're blind or something like that whereas a, a a the implication between a wolf and a sheepdog is some form of like moral slash capabilities type um what do you call it type uh difference whereas the the wolf is not necessarily capable but is but for some reason is predatory and the sheepdog is someone who's capable but not predatory and it's it's kind of an odd it's it's it, i think i think that that metaphor served its purpose and it's ran out of steam because we come to understand that the sheep themselves really are not all that uh harmless so to speak they will gladly advocate for the death and destruction or disarmament of peoples uh so long as they don't have to get their hands bloody themselves and that's um, it's a very different moral framework than sheep sheep dog wolf and so <clears throat> for for the for the, for this example now let's just talk in kind of closing on the psychologist fallacy and why we'd want to be aware of it is there is rhetoric that is used in written language and spoken language and movies and presentation and politics and so forth that oftentimes comes across as not only disconcerting but unconvincing and we're not exactly sure why and a psychologist fallacy or a view from above fallacy doesn't necessarily negate the argument that is being made entirely, but it draws attention to a, a maybe implied perspective and how that implied perspective or that, that within the implication of that perspective, the author 
is suggesting that there's some form of objectivity to their 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 perception. There's some sort of objectivity to their writing about it. And that would go into a epistemological and metaphysics argument about objectivity versus subjectivity. And that would take a long, long, long time for us to address today. But instead, in keeping it tight to this consistent issue, the view from above fallacy, the psychologist fallacy, is one where the author implies or states somehow that their point of observation over the event or the thing that they are talking about, the describing factor, somehow has left them unscathed by their own subjective perspective on it, or they're un, un, uh, that they're not a factor within the environment. With our first article uh, by Ellen, Ellen, uh, was it Ellen Hayes? Let's go back to the top here. With our article here on a third way of gun reform, just bring it up because it's fine. A third way on gun reform, the author presents herself as if she's trying to argue for a new, better way for us to have conversations about gun reform and a new, better way for us to have conversations about gun violence and whatever you want to call it in the, in the country. And then she go and, and this and the whole purpose of this third way is so that we can not be uh, we can sort of get away from partisanship. Uh, and then in the end, she just reveals that she's quite partisan in her own position. She's very, very clearly in one camp. And doesn't have, you know, like, and, and she and, and she she calls it success when people are disarmed, when people are having their red flag laws maneuver, you know, things, or when people are specifically um, even advocating for and facilitating gun buyback programs or voluntary turn-ins or whatever that is. And so that's like, well, you're not really you're not really suggesting a third way. You're not really suggesting a third way at all. In fact, you're actually just suggesting a different a different example of how you could try to make an argument for something that is clearly in one side. It's very much so on one horn of the dilemma. The other one with uh, Lieutenant Colonel Grossman's argument in the version of the psychologist fallacy, which again is still occasionally referred to as the view from above, is that he doesn't, he's, he occasionally leaves out or doesn't include his own participation in the discovery process and he he doesn't he leaves out he he kind of makes a little a couple statements quite he makes quite a few ex, uh, statements throughout the book with the very the confidence of objectivity which would have been appropriately appropriately delivered as a subjective one as from a, a from a perspective as opposed to as if he could somehow perceive it objectively as in prescriptions overall mankind and to how people think and how people think about violence and so on and so forth so that being the case though this has been a short morning bit for you on the view from above fallacy on the also known as the psychologist fallacy and that is what we are trying to do here at redacted is give you tools tools for your toolbox uh ways to sharpen your sword when it comes to the mind and the mind and in, and in, how we think about violence and how we think about culture and how we think about what is right and true and good because we should not allow we need to, we should not allow our thinking on firearms and violence and all this stuff to be purely driven by people who don't actually know what they're talking about um it's it's some it's important for us whether or not they have it it has any impact on anyone over there it is important for us to be aware of what we think about and how we believe about these ideas of ethics systems and these things that have to do with responsibilities because 
even if nothing changes or if everything changes in the world, we still we ultimately recognize that we live in a, a moral environment as well as a legal one. And what is moral is not the same as what is legal. And sometimes those two things conflict and we have to make the choice in that point. And the last thing that we want to do is be in a position where that's the first time we've ever considered our moral framework is when we're in a life or death or a life or death situation, whether that has to do with us or somebody else. So that being the case, this is the Redacted Culture Cast. You can you can support the show on at Locals, which would be redactedculture.locals.com, or you can support us through our merch links, which is redactedllc.com. All of that stuff is how we keep the lights on and how we keep the show rolling. In that, in with that being the case, then we're going to close out with "Go Forth and Conquer." <laughs>